0: Uh, it is good to have you here. I, uh, I know I tell you that every week, but I'm just going to keep telling you that every single week. I appreciate so much you decided to come out to a service. And I know the weather is slowly getting nicer. Um, I know that you could have been doing a whole lot of other things, but I appreciate the fact that you decided to come out to this service. So um, I also want to welcome those of you watching online from wherever you might be. Thanks for tuning in as well. Love that you are able to connect with us still this way. In fact, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. We did this last week. We're going to do this for the next little bit at least. Um, If you are watching this online, we would love to know that you are watching this online. And so you can let us know in one of two ways. You can leave a comment down in the comment section below this video if you have a YouTube account. Just type out your name and how many people are watching with you. If you don't have a YouTube account, uh, there is a link in the description of this video that will take you to a form where you can basically do the same thing. Just type your name and how many people are watching with you. And really we're doing this just to see like how, how our online kind of ministry is going, how to better connect with you, how to know who's still watching and engaging and all those different ways so that we can stay more connected even if you're not here in person. So if you wouldn't mind Pause this video, leave a comment below, or fill out that form. It'll take you one minute, and then you can come right back to it. And I just want to say thank you for doing that. So, today we are wrapping up our series called The Holy Spirit. It's been a three part series. And if this is your first time here today, or your first time watching online, if you have not seen or been around for the other two messages, you're kind of catching the end of the movie today. I don't really know how to explain it other any other way. In fact, you might have a lot more questions at the end of the day than you have answers. So if you have not seen either of the previous two messages, they're on our YouTube channel. They're there for you to watch. I would highly encourage you to do that. It will give you a much better picture about the Holy Spirit than only what we're going to cover today. Um, but, you're not going to watch it right now, so let me just give you a, a brief, one-minute recap of where we've been in order to set up where we're going. So the first week of this series, we talked about our, our need to be open to the supernatural in this world. Because we live in a world, we live in a culture that is very tangible, very scientific. If we can't measure it, if we can't see it, touch it, taste it, whatever, we tend to just kind of dismiss it like, "ah, oh, that's not real. But God is supernatural, Right? The the Trinity that we believe in, God the Fun, God, God the Fun, God the Father, and God the Son. Boy, don't mix those together, although God is fun, and God the Holy Spirit are supernatural. In order to understand who the Holy Spirit is, in order to understand his purpose in our lives, we have to be open at least to the supernatural. Last week, what we talked about was that part of the Holy Spirit's purpose, not everything he does. But part of his purpose is to produce in us supernatural fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those sorts of things and to give us supernatural gifts. Again, both supernatural. They're not normal things that we just come into. They are from the Holy Spirit. But if you were here last week or if you watched online, you know that we kind of we kind of left last week with a little bit of a cliffhanger, a little bit of a question. And that question was this, how? How does the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, right? If, if the Holy Spirit is real, if he's supernatural, if he gives supernatural gifts, produces supernatural fruit, has supernatural power, does all that in our lives, then how? How do we get that fruit? How do we get those gifts? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in our lives? That's the question for today. Now, something that we haven't covered yet, but that is super important to talk about, is the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside every one of us who are a believer. Already, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on the cross as payment for your sins to connect you with God, at that moment, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Because when we put our trust in Jesus, there is nothing between us and God anymore. There's no barriers. There's, God's not waiting for us to like perform a certain way. We have full and open access to all of God, including his Holy Spirit living in us. The Apostle Paul writes about this so clearly in many different letters, but Ephesians is probably the best. He says this, And now you Gentiles, basically anybody who's not a Jew, any, anybody, you now have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, at that moment you put your trust, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. In a different letter to Rome, to the Romans, Paul says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. In a different letter to the Corinthians, he says that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. When you and I, if you if you online, you here in the room, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is already living inside of you. Now, for some of you, that's good news. For others of you, you are very freaked out right now. I understand. But that's the truth. That's what the Apostle Paul writes. That's what the scriptures say the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And it's that distinctive right there, God in us, is one of the key things that separates Christianity from every other world religion. Because in Judaism, God doesn't live in you. In Islam, God doesn't live in you. In Buddhism, God doesn't live in you. In Hinduism, in Sikhism, in Scientology, and whatever else you want to name, God does not live in you. But through Jesus Christ, our faith and our trust in him, through that, God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. However, however, just because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us doesn't necessarily mean that he's active in fulfilling his purpose. I try and think of it this way. Let me give you some scenarios of what this would be like, right? So imagine you have the latest, greatest, Android, smartphone, Galaxy, S1 million, and whatever, right? And it's got an 8K video camera on it, like, oh my gosh, it's 8K, this is amazing. If you don't have an 8K device to view that footage on, I mean, who cares, right? Like, what what good is it? And even if you do have an 8K TV and you spent thousands of dollars on it, I'm not sure we really need 8K of shaky handheld kids' soccer game footage, right? Right? Like, the technology is there, it's real, the capability, but we're not using it to its full potential. It's, it's, that, it's that sort of way. Or if you're not a, a, a tech person, maybe you're a motorhead, right? So there is a car out there. It's called the Dodge Challenger Demon. I don't want to talk about demons too much in church, but this is a cool car, okay? <clears throat> this car has the fastest quarter mile, the fastest zero to 60 time of any production model vehicle ever ever made. Like, not Lamborghini, not Ferrari, Dodge, okay? If you choose to spend the $86,000 it costs to buy this vehicle, uh, number one, I'd like to be your friend, but number two, if all you ever do is drive it to the grocery store and drive it to church and like run errands, that is a massive waste of 800 brake horsepower, okay? Is, is the power there? Yes, it's available. Is the engine awesome? Of course it is. But unless you absolutely want to blow someone's face off with your exhaust in a straight-line drag race, that car doesn't really do a whole lot. You might as well drive a Nissan Sentra, all right? It's that same sort of thing. Or if you have, you know, if you've got a phone, you've got a Google Maps or Apple Maps, whatever it might be, you don't need maps to find your way to and from work, to and from home, to go to your parents' house. You only need maps when you're lost. And it's the same sort of idea with the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is there. He lives inside of every single believer. But just because he's there doesn't mean he's he's active. I don't know if that's the best term to use. doesn't mean he's fulfilling his purpose in our lives. In the book of Acts, Acts is a document, it's a historical document found in the New Testament. It's written by a guy named Luke. And it really chronicles kind of the growth and expansion of the church, the church of Jesus Christ, in the few decades after Jesus left this earth. And in Acts, we can read about five unique experiences where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not going to read all five today, but there are five different examples. And as we look at those examples, we start to see a a better answer for this question for today. We start to, we can piece together how and what it looks like the Holy Spirit is, is kind of fulfills his role in our life. And I think if you look at all five of those examples, what is clearer than anything else is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a second step beyond salvation There's putting our trust in Jesus to be connected with God. And then this is an additional step beyond that. They don't necessarily happen at the same time. Throughout the book of Acts, um, Luke will refer to it as receiving the Holy Spirit. He will say the Holy Spirit came on them, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, As an Assemblies of God church, our official terminology is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's all different ways of saying the exact same thing, of kind of awakening and allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he was meant to do in and through our lives. So one of the examples I want to read today is found in Acts chapter 8. And at this particular point in time, Christianity was just starting to spread outside of Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem were facing some persecution and so as they kind of ran for their lives, they began to share the message of Jesus in all these new places they went. I want to pick up the story in uh, verse 12. It says this, But now the people, this new place, believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Now, I know in our world today, baptism is, has a lot of confusion. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation, okay? It is not. We are saved. We are totally made right with God when we put our trust in Jesus. However, the biblical pattern, especially in the first century, was as soon as people made that internal decision, baptism was an outward way of letting people know they had made that decision. So I don't want you to be confused. Baptism does not equal salvation. But it goes on to say this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria, this other town, had accepted God's message, they'd become Christians. They sent Peter and John there, kind of the the heavy hitters of the day. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Not as in he wasn't there already, but like a second step, a second work of the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say this, The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. He'd not been awakened. They hadn't asked the Holy Spirit to start doing his Holy Spirit stuff in their lives for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what did they do? Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was awakened in their life. And in this story, it is so crystal clear. This is a second step, a second work. They had put their trust in Jesus and then they received the Holy Spirit. A couple chapters later, in Acts chapter 19, this is, I don't know, a decade, two decades later, whatever, the Apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, that sounds like a weird term. A missionary journey is just basically where Paul traveled around the, uh, the region of the Mediterranean, visiting Christians, starting churches, kind of helping spread the message of Jesus Christ. So he's on that third journey and this is what happens. While Apollos, another guy, was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. And this is the first thing he asks them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. Now, why would he ask that question? To me, it's just evidence that receiving, being filled, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is clearly a second step. We read from Ephesians earlier today that when we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside us already. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what he's done. And we know from Paul's other writings, he understood this concept. He knew the Holy Spirit was already in these believers, but he wanted to know, is the Holy Spirit active in your life? When you believe, did you experience the power and the presence? Is there supernatural fruit or there supernatural gifts? Do you, do, do, you, do you allow the Holy Spirit to do everything he wants to do in your life? As he's asking these questions, Paul discovers that these people actually weren't even Christians yet. They had heard there was going to be a Savior. They trusted that he was coming. So Paul explains, hey, he's already been here. His name is Jesus. This is what we've been witness to. This is what the story goes on to say. As soon as they heard this, as they heard the message about Jesus, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, not a requirement for salvation, just an outward sign. Then, afterwards, second step, next step, then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. The moment that Paul explained who Jesus was, They trusted him and they were saved. They were completely made right with God. If those believers would have died at that exact moment, they would have gone to heaven. They would have been with God for all eternity. But Paul knew from his own relationship with God, he knew that that's not where things had to end. There was more available. They could also receive, be filled, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so he prayed for them to receive that, to experience the Holy Spirit working in their lives. I want to address the obvious here because, especially in this story that we just read, there is in in all five instances of Acts, we can, we can see in some of them and infer in others that an outward physical evidence happened. In this one, it was that they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And we talked about that last week. Yes, those are weird things. Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that you did not learn, that you didn't like take two years of Spanish in high school and like can broken order a hot dog. It's more than that. And prophesying is speaking a message directly for God, from him, for somebody else. In three of the five instances in the book of Acts, that is the outward initial physical evidence. Speaking in tongues And prophesying. In the story we read first today in Acts chapter 8, Luke doesn't record exactly what happens when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. But we can make some educated guesses. We didn't read this, you can read it later on in Acts chapter 8. But there's a guy named Simon kind of watching what's happening from the outside. And when he sees whatever he sees, he offers money to the apostles to be able to buy this power. That whatever happened when people were filled was so amazing, so incredible, so undeniable, he wanted to have that same power. I think there's enough evidence there. The assemblies of God, there's plenty of other people. I believe that the same thing happened as we see in the other ones, that most likely they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Nobody knows for sure. I'm not going to bet my life on it, but I would guess that's what happened. The fifth and final time in the book of Acts where somebody is filled is in Acts, chapter 9. And it's where the Apostle Paul himself is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Luke doesn't record any sort of physical evidence that happens in Paul's life at that moment. But we know from some of Paul's other writings that he too spoke in tongues, that he thought it was valuable. He said, I wish all of you would speak in tongues because it's for our benefit. It does something for us on the inside. But regardless, in any case, in any scenario, Biblically speaking, the pattern is that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, something outward and physical happens in their lives. Now, tongues is weird. And if you've been around a lot of Pentecostal churches, you've maybe seen some good stuff and some bad stuff with it. I understand that if you are hesitant and nervous to even want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you're afraid about what's going to happen— I get that. I understand that. I've been there. But I want to share my experience. This is just my story and the same thing happened to me that happened as we read about in Acts. I put my trust in Jesus as a sophomore in high school in 2002. Um, That made some of you feel really old. I put my trust in him and I had never grown um, grown up going to church didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know how to, like, when people would say, Acts 8.12, like, what is 8.12? I don't know what any of that means, right? But I put my trust in Jesus and I start learning a ton about God. Stuff that I would never knew, that he loved me, I understood salvation better. For the next few years, it was just like, oh, oh my gosh, this new information, this new information, I never knew that. I was discovering so much. The summer before my senior year of high school, I was getting ready to go on a missions trip to Alaska to help reach people, to help a church, those sorts of things. And part of the preparation for this missions trip was going through some training. A lot of different things, but one of the training sessions was specifically about the Holy Spirit. And basically this session was what we've covered in the whole three weeks of this series, all condensed down into one just long, intense training. And at the end of this session, the guy presenting, the kind of leader of this training, Gave everybody a chance. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, come forward and we'll pray for you. And so I'm sitting there as a baby Christian, probably only been saved for a year, year and a half, and I'm I'm so torn on the inside. I'd never heard about this weird tongues thing, um, didn't know much about the Holy Spirit, didn't understand at that point that it was a second step. And so I'm feeling hesitation and fear and nervousness. But on the other hand, I'm sensing but God, I want to I want to know you better. Like I want to be in a closer relationship with you. I want to experience everything you have for me and so I'm sitting there in my chair and I don't I don't know if it was 2 seconds or if it was 2 minutes or 2 hours, but I'm sitting there and like weighing this out. Yes, I feel afraid, but yes, I want God. Yes, I'm nervous, but yes, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I want to speak in tongues, but like I don't want to I don't want to put my hands up to anything that God has for me. And so finally I get enough courage And I walk up to the front and I say, hey, you know what, I'd I'd like to be prayed for. He puts his hand on my shoulder and he says a prayer for me, just in English, nothing weird. He just prays for me. And as he's praying, I feel this urge on the inside. Now, some of you are going to dismiss this story and you'll think it's made up. I promise you it's not. As he's praying for me, I sense this urge to speak something. And I open my mouth and I begin speaking in tongues. I can't explain it any other way. Now, I didn't have a half an hour dialogue. Okay, I didn't start yelling and like flailing about or anything. But just quietly, under my breath, I just spoke a phrase or two. At least what I think is a phrase or two. And I spoke in tongues. The same thing that happened to the early believers in the book of Acts happened in my life. And it still happens to this day that I speak in tongues. Now, it is not an everyday occurrence. It's not regular. But I'd say half a dozen, dozen times a month I still speak in tongues to this day. I don't know what the words mean. Um, I don't, I've never asked to know what the words mean. Usually for me, when I speak in tongues, it's always in like a time of worship, mostly with music, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or nights of worship, or I'm just driving in my car with music on. And I find that I am like compelled to speak in tongues when my English words just don't cut it. Like when I want to say I love you to God more and I love you just doesn't like capture what I feel. And I I never speak in tongues in front of other people. I never try and make a show of it. This is just something between me and God and I have found it to be incredibly beneficial in my life. But never once, not when I was first prayed for, not to this day, not any time in between, did I ever feel like I have to do this or like God was going to be disappointed if I didn't, or, or any of that sort of thing. I have always felt the urge or the desire or the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I just simply choose to go where I believe God leads me. Now, I know tongues is a big issue. It's super weird. And maybe, you have, maybe you've asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit before, or maybe you haven't asked because you're afraid of what tongues might do or, or any other sort of sign. I've gotten this question so many times over the years from sincere people who ask, "Shaheen, I, I want to be filled, or I've asked to be filled, but I've never spoken in tongues. Does that mean I am or not? Am I filled or not? Did it stick? Does does God love me enough to give me the Holy Spirit?" And let me if that's if that's a question you have wondered, let me answer it very clearly. Yes, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, whether you speak in tongues or not. If you ask you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's probably a whole host of reasons why or why you haven't spoken in tongues. I'm not sure. That's not an issue that I, that I stand very firmly on. Um, but I think that if we were to sit down and have a conversation, I believe there would be plenty of other outward physical evidence that has happened in your life as the result of the Holy Spirit. Because I know that's happened in my life. Tongues is not the only outward physical evidence. Like I said, before I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I was learning a lot, I was understanding a lot about God, but my relationship with him, we use that word a lot around here, my, my closeness, my connection, my ability to experience his presence was not growing that much. But when I, when I asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that started to change and it started to change rapidly. And I saw outward evidence of that. I became a lot bolder in my faith I was able to invite people easier. I was able to talk about church and things God was doing in my life with a lot more confidence. I was able to pray for other people out loud and not feel as self-conscious or as nervous about it. Um, One of the big things that changed in, in my outward life was prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit, I was concerned with making a lot of money. Okay, that was my goal in life. I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to achieve a lot, buy a Batmobile, drive a helicopter, all that sort of stuff. But after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, my heart started to change and that started to play out in my life differently. Where I decided, no, I think I want to be more about God's business, about his work in this world. In fact, I went to a a Bible camp up in Alexandria, Minnesota that same year and while I was there, I believed that God gave me a vision, like a literal mental picture of my future, my life, being dedicated in full-time ministry to drawing other people close to him. as my relationship with God grew, it became easier for me to talk about that and to trust him and to move that direction and dedicate my life to ministry. And, and here's, here's all I'm saying. In, all this, in tongues, in prayer, in boldness, and whatever it might be, I believe that there is physical evidence, outward evidence. There's there's internal fruit and all that sort of stuff, but there is physical evidence. Is it tongues? Yes, yeah, sometimes it is. Tongues is, seems to be the one that is most talked about in the 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 practice in the, in the New Testament. But either way, something outward and physical happens. And here's, here's really, I say all that to put your mind at ease, really, in hearing my story. But because more than anything else, I want each one of you, you online, I want all of you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we dedicated the three weeks of this series to talking about the Holy Spirit, to answering some questions you have, to trying to put your your fears and your hesitations at ease because the Holy Spirit is so amazing and so incredible. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to be our comforter. And some of you need comfort right now. Being filled with the Spirit will do that. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to be our counselor, that when we have questions, when we're afraid that he's going to lead us into all truth, he will remind us of the truth. Some of us need that right now. That is part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The internal fruit that he produces is so good for each and every one of your lives. You watching online, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, among other things, the Holy Spirit is given to us for our benefit. It is so good and I want so badly for every single one of you to experience more of God in your life. I just do. I know what's available and I want you to experience the fullness of God and an amazing relationship with him. And so today, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is a biblical pattern, just like we see a biblical pattern of being filled as a second step, a biblical pattern of there being outward evidence, there's also a biblical pattern of what to do to be filled, and that is by having somebody pray for you. Now, I want to address those of you watching online because obviously we are limited, um, COVID and all that sort of stuff or whatever reason you're watching online. The screen between us means that nobody is there to actually pray for you. But I want to let you know that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be. You don't have to have somebody pray for you or put your hand on their shoulder. When you ask God to receive the Holy Spirit, if you have put your trust in Jesus already, When you ask God, you will receive. Jesus promises it. I want to read it to you. It's found in Luke chapter 11. And Jesus says this, And so I tell you, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened And I've heard this verse taken out of context so many times and applied to all sorts of wrong things. What Jesus is talking about here, you watching online, I want you to know, He is talking about receiving the Holy Spirit from the Father. Look at what he says next. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. That'd be absurd. So if you sinful people in relation to God, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? For those of you watching online, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask. You don't have to say any fancy spiritual words. You don't have to fold your hands a certain way. Just talk to God and ask. God hears your heart and he will give you the Holy Spirit. That is a promise. Maybe something physical is going to happen. Maybe not. I don't know. But you don't have to doubt. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And if you decide to pray that, I would encourage you when this video is done to take one minute, just in the quiet of wherever you are, ask God to give you the Holy Spirit to fill you with the Holy Spirit. If you make that decision, we would love to know about it. Like, we want to celebrate with you. This is such an incredible decision that you're making. You can leave us a comment down below. You can send the church an email. You can call me personally. My phone number is on the website. Would love to hear what God is doing in your life and that you chose to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Um, If you even want to set up a time for us to meet together, would love to do with that as well. But I want to encourage you, don't miss this opportunity. You sitting in your office, in your house, watching your phone, wherever you are, You can be filled with the Holy Spirit simply by asking. So don't miss your opportunity.